Philippians chapter 4, we've been doing this series through the book of Philippians, and uh, we're finishing sort of like part one of the series today. Next week, we're starting a series, you guessed it, in the book of Philippians, but we're looking at kind of like different dimension of the book, how it has to speak to us corporately as a church. Uh, but today, we're finishing this idea of finding, and how like in the book of Philippians, we see this blueprint to finding life and purpose and success and contentment. And today we're talking about finding peace. So Philippians chapter 4, starting on verse 4. Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Remember the Lord is coming soon. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me. Everything you heard from me and saw me doing, then the God of peace will be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Would you join me in prayer as we step into this time? Dear God, um, I believe that everybody in this room could use more joy and more peace. So we come this morning into your word believing that there's something here for us today. My prayer would be that the Holy Spirit would open our eyes and our minds and our hearts to listen to what you have to say. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you. In the name of your son, I pray. Uh, everybody has different Fourth of July traditions, right? Maybe you do a cookout with your family every year. Uh, my wife loves fireworks, so we have to find a way to go see fireworks on the Fourth of July. I didn't grow up in the United States; came here when I was 20 years old, so I didn't grow up celebrating Fourth of July. So my personal tradition is a little bit more international. So every Fourth of July, at some point in the day, usually before we go out to the cookout and whatever, I try to make a point. To watch Will Smith kick aliens in the teeth. <laughs> I watch Independence Day every 4th of July. And I get, you know, excited with patriotism. When Mr. Pullman says, today is our independence. I'm like, yes, get him. Love it, right? There's a scene in, in the movie where, like, uh, the president is able to kind of, like, communicate with one of the aliens, and he's asking the alien, you know, is there a way that we can figure out some sort of truce? Is there a way that we can kind of like reach some sort of like peace agreement? And there's a scene where the alien is kind of like speaking through the mouth of one of the scientists. He's like, peace. No peace. I do a good alien. I think the aliens might have like some Latino in them because I think that's a decent accent. Anyway. It's tangentially related to what I'm preaching about, but I wanted to do that. Anyway, um, three years ago, kind of like right after the pandemic ended, uh, we, my, the church I was at at the time, we started meeting again, and I did this series on the fruit of the Spirit, and peace is one of the fruit of the Spirit. So I did some research in kind of like the opposite of peace, which is kind of like worry 
and anxiety. And there's some numbers I want to share with you. Uh, there's a, a CDC report, a CDC study that says uh, between August 2020 and February 2021, uh, the percentage of adults with recent symptoms of an anxiety or depressive disorder increased 41.5%. I found an APA poll that said that 41% of Americans were more anxious in 2021 than in 2020, which, believe it or not, was actually an improvement because in 2019 to 2020, that jumped to 60%. Wonder what happened in 2020. 43% uh, of adults reported that the pandemic had a serious impact on their mental health. 53% of parents were concerned about the mental health of their children. The National Institute for Mental Health uh, published a report that said that 50 million people in America suffer from the effects of anxiety. At uh, the Barnett Group, which is kind of like a Christian research firm, did a study uh, among 15,000 uh, millennials and Gen Zers, and they reported that having anxiety was one of the dominant experiences of their life. Uh, the the uh, website I call you today, it's old, that's from 2008, and uh, the psychologist Robert Lehigh, uh, writing there, he said this, the average high school kid today experiences the same levels of anxiety as the average psychiatry patient in the 1950s. It seems that we live in a world where we ask for peace, we long for peace, and just like the alien in Independence Day, the world tells us no peace which is what makes the particular passage we just read all the more relevant. A few years ago, Amazon published a study of one of like the, um, the most highlighted passages on Kindle books, and because there's versions of the Bible in Kindle, the most highlighted passage on the Bible in Kindle is not John 3.16, it's not Psalm 23, it's this particular passage. Uh, it seems that we live in, you know, this world where in spite of having access to all the technological convenience and advancements and entertainment and information and culture from all over the world, and we have all these opportunities for self-improvement, we still have such a profound struggle with worry and anxiety and mental health in general, which is what makes Paul's take on joy and peace, perhaps exactly what we need. So what I want to do for the next few minutes is just take you through this passage and show you what I believe to be Paul's blueprint to how we can find peace that lasts. So verse 4. Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Remember, the Lord is coming soon. This is the last section of the letter. So the letter to Philippians is a letter that Paul writes from jail. And this is kind of like as the letter is winding, uh, winding down, he's wrapping things up. And one of the things he wants to do is kind of like reemphasize something that's been sort of a theme throughout the letter, which is this idea of joy. Now, joy, I think it's a little bit of a weird word. Because I think we all attach different meanings to it. Like when I hear the word joy, I think of Christmas, like, you know, like joy, joy to the world. Uh, and I feel like maybe we live in a society that's a little bit cynical. And then when we hear joy, we think, okay, people that you would characterize as joyful, what, 
what is it really to be joyful about, right? Because if the world is as messed up as it is, either you are like very naive to be joyful or you're pretending for attention, right? Something like that. Uh, like honestly, like when I think of joy, you know what I think about? I think about Will Ferrell in Elf. You know, like smiling is my favorite. But the elf, what's your favorite color? You know, I don't know why. That's, that's where my mind, where my mind goes. And he says, I do this, always happen. You just want to like punch him in the face because like, come on, man. Uh, and some of you hear me say joy and your eyes kind of like lace over because it feels like this silly word. Now, the thing is that in the New Testament, when you see the word joy mentioned, it's very connected to the ideas of just like sincere gladness and celebration. Like, think about the moment when, you know, like your, your, your favorite team scores at the last second. They were losing, and now they win the game. Or like we're in graduation season, right? So some of you, you have brothers and sisters and children and grandchildren graduating, and you get to you hear their name called, and you see them walking up and receiving that diploma, and your heart just swells up with, like, pride and with joy. Joy is actually one of the most earnest and sincere emotions that we find in the Bible. And what's fascinating about this passage is that the Apostle Paul is instructing the church to rejoice. It's kind of, it's a command, like the, the, the language in Greek, it's a command. And, you know, when he gets to worry and peace later on in the passage, he says the same thing. So verse 6 says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Uh, the word worry in verse 6, actually, like, sometimes worry sounds, you know, like, I'm worried about the nationals because they suck again. Oh, no, like, kind of like, I'm just worried about this. It's, it's, it's a little bit more than that. Like, like worry is about being kind of, like, consumed with a thought. Perhaps a better way to translate the word is anxiety. There's actually some, like, the NASB translation, for example, translates this this way. It says, be anxious for nothing. And those two things in the scriptures, in this passage, so, uh, you know, rejoice and don't worry, don't be anxious, are commands. And, and as I was preparing for this talk, all the research that I did, every single, you know, commentary, every single listen, every, every single sermon that I listened to, kind of like harped on the idea, you know, rejoice, it's, joy is a command, uh, not to worry is a command, which, to be honest with you, it sort of robs me the wrong way. Because to this day, I've never met a person that actively, consciously wants to be miserable. I've never met somebody that wakes up and says, you know what? They say to themselves, self, today I want to be crippled by, you know, anxiety and depression and fear. And I don't want to feel any joy in my life. People don't go about life like that. So when I hear sometimes, you know, and I think it's well-intentioned pastors and, and, and commentators saying, you know, rejoicing is a command, or the Lord commands you not to worry, not to be anxious. It feels like this heavy burden that God is laying on us. As I was writing kind of like my, my reflections on the passage, I wrote the line, how can God have the gall to command us to rejoice? You know, doesn't he see what we're going through? Uh, but I think that there's actually another way of, thinking about these verses. One of the things that I do here at The Journey is I teach a baptism class. And uh, I, I always start the baptism class by looking at the ministry of John the Baptist because that's kind of like the practice of baptism as we do it today. That's where, where, where it comes from. 
And, and I kind of like begin usually reading something like the beginning of John the Baptist's ministry. So, for example, Matthew chapter 3, starting on verse 1, says, In those days, John the Baptist came to the Judean wilderness and began preaching. His message was, repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And if you read that passage, it also sounds very much like a command, like, you know, repent or else. And what I tell people is that when you read the passage in context, what you realize is that the story of John the Baptist is soaked in references and allusions to the messianic prophecies that you see towards the end of the Old Testament. And most of these messianic prophecies are about this idea that the reason why the people of Israel kind of like went into exile and the kingdom of Israel, as it was, uh, went away and they were, you know, exiled and then they were occupied by other foreign empires was because they had been unable to keep their end of the covenant with God. That they were unable to obey God. That for as much as they tried, they were unable to change. And the promises that God makes towards the end of the Old Testament is that one day, God was going to do something that was going to transform them from the inside out so that they could obey God. It says, there's prophecies that say God is going to write, you know, his law in the hearts of people so they will be able to obey God. And what I tell people is, when you see John the Baptist uh, in the New Testament saying repent, it's not only a command, it's a fulfillment of a promise. It's actually not a heavy burden of like, you have to do this. No, it's, it, it's, it's hope. It's saying, you can repent. You get to repent. True repentance, life transforming repentance is a possibility. And I see that the same applies to this passage. You can read this passage as, thou shalt rejoice, or thou shalt not be anxious. Or, you can read this passage as, you don't have to live like this. A life of joy is a real attainable possibility now. You don't have to be consumed by anxiety and worry. A life of peace is a real attainable possibility now. Yes, it's a command, but it's also a promise and an invitation. It's not meant to be a heavy burden. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and find rest in me. And he says, because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The commands of Jesus are never burdens. They are invitations and promises that a different kind of life is possible right here and right now. And I think that this is true of joy and peace. Say another way, joy and peace are a real attainable possibility. And we know this because even in this passage, Paul doesn't just say, you know, rejoice and don't worry, or you're a bad Christian. He actually gives us a blueprint of how to get there. Verse 6, he says, don't worry about anything. He says, instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. So he says, don't worry, but then he has something interesting. He offers an alternative to worry, and he says, 
pray. Which, listen, I get that that sounds a very churchy, Captain Obvious answer. I'm a preacher, and I cannot tell you how, like, my skin crawls whenever I sit through a sermon. And the best that the preacher can come for an application is you should pray and read your Bible more. With that said, if you pray and read your Bible more, your life will look a little bit different. So don't, don't, don't knock it off until you try it. But my point is this. I think that he's not just given this blanket, you know, standard statement of, yeah, I should pray. Like, that's the answer to everything. I think that he's actually doing something a little bit more profound in here. Uh, first of all, I want you to notice his correspondence between worrying and being anxious and praying. He says, don't worry about anything and pray about everything. It's almost like he's trying to make this connection of both things. Why is he saying that? Um, when I read you the statistics about mental health and anxiety, um, I'm part of those statistics. I am not a stranger to anxiety and depression. The official against diagnosis that I've been giving is I have situational anxiety, meaning that when things don't go right in my life, I fall apart mentally. Uh, I started experiencing, uh, when we started planting our church back in December of 2016, we're kind of like getting things off the ground, and we hit a point that building kind of like the launch team was going to start the church kind of like hit a wall, and it wasn't getting any traction, and I fell into this big, profound depression, and I started struggling with anxiety attacks. And I remember, I have the memory, uh, you know, wake up in the morning, my wife would go off to work, and I would you know, sit in your living room to do my prayer and my devotions, and I would just sit there paralyzed. And I couldn't move. And it was almost like I was afraid of getting up. Like I was afraid, I, I don't know, like if I was afraid that the floor wasn't going to be there when I, when, when I got up, but I, it, was, it was crippling. It was crippling anxiety. And you know what? Eventually through counseling and therapy and prayer and spiritual practices and medication, like, I got through it, and it went away, and, you know, been you know, fine for the last few years. That is, until last year, as our church was winding down, as we realized that we're probably going to have to close our doors, that my anxiety and my depression reared their ugly head again. And the way it was for me is that my mind would tend to go to the worst-case scenario. For example, like I would have these thoughts, and I wrote them down to remember kind of how it went, and it was something like this. Your church is shutting down, and that means you're going to be seen as a failure, and no church is going to want to hire you because you failed, and your wife is going to realize she married a loser because you won't be able to find a job, and she's going to leave you and take your son, and you will not be able to see him grow up. And you hear me say, and you're like, dude, chill out, relax. <laughs> And I hear myself say it now, and I say, yes, chill out, relax, you're fine. But that doesn't make it any less real for me at the time. And it was just this vicious cycle of terrible thoughts that made it impossible to get through the day. Um, and by the way, I had to say this in the first service, I had to give the caveat, Megan was phenomenal, okay? She never gave me any sort of indication that she was upset at me, she was very supportive, she, I love her, we're great, right? But that's how my mind functioned at the time, right? And the, like, I'm not the type of person that everything is kind of like a demon or whatever, but I, I promise you, like, when I was having those thoughts, I felt like it was like the enemy whispering in my ear, you're going to lose everything. I was terrified. 
And I guess that because I had already experienced that, I was like a little bit more proactive about getting help. Started like talking to counselors and therapists, and I found this, this, this guy, and we're working together, and you know, I'm sharing with him my experience and what I'm going through, and he's listening to me. He's very empathetic. He's not dismissing my experience, but he's, he starts kind of like asking me questions. Okay, so wait a minute. Like, why, why do you think? It's like, has your wife given you any indication that she's gonna live? He's like, no. It's like, do you guys have problems in your marriage? Like, no. It's like, well, then how? Do you, and I thought, I don't know, but that's where my mind goes. So kind of like the treatment that, that, that we started working with, he says, like, he said, we're going to start working with you doing mindfulness exercise. I know it's kind of like transcendental meditation, like, oh, I'm feeling, no, it was more kind of like just trying to like settle my mind. And, and he says, the reason is that part of the problem that you have is like depression is about the past. It's about like what happened, I can get past. Anxiety is about the future. And he says, the problem with that is that the, the one place that you're not is in the present. And say, so what we need to do is try to find a way to kind of like get you like grounded in the present. And I always think it's kind of like, if you remember like the Peter Pan movies, uh, when Peter Pan is trying to hold his shadow from escaping, he was like, basically you need to do that with your mind. We need to find a way to kind of like ground you in the present. Because when you're grounded in the present, you realize that the things that you're afraid of haven't happened yet. And they may never happen. And if they happen, they might not be as terrible as you think they're going to happen. Right? And when you're in the present, you're actually able to get through the day and help your family and your son and all the things that, that you're supposed to do. So, so kind of like start working with me through this. And uh, kind of like the, the way the, as we're working through that, and he's not a Christian therapist, but realized what's happening was that he was kind of like trying to like ground me in reality. Okay? And I, I kind of like had a connection with prayer, and I didn't make this connection until actually... This past semester, I was visiting all of the different life groups. So I would sit through discussions of this passage over and over. And I remember sitting through a couple of discussions of this passage, and my mind made this connection. Wait a minute. I, and I think that what Paul is getting at with prayer is that Paul is saying, don't be anxious about the future. And he would probably say something like my therapist, because A, it hasn't happened yet, and B, probably it's not going to be as bad as you think it's going to be. And then, but then he says, but instead pray. And he has two things. He says, ask God for what you need and thank him for what he's done. And I think that what Paul is doing is this. Paul is trying to ground our minds and our hearts in reality. But in a deeper reality than what our eyes can see. So like, I'll give you an example. Like when I'm working with my therapist, what's the reality? It's like, okay, you go back to the present. Right now... You and your wife are fine. Your son is healthy. You love them. You're with them. Uh, you have savings in your bank account. It's not like you're going to be destitute immediately. There's all these job opportunities. You know, even if you're not a pastor, there's other things that you can do. So it's kind of like all these things about like the present, how situations are not as bad as you can be. That's real. There's what I would call a deeper reality, maybe an ultimate reality. And it's this. God is real. God is good. God loves me. God sent his son to die on the cross for me. Through the resurrection of Jesus, God is repairing all of the universe and bringing everything into a redemptive purpose. And through that, God can work all things for good. But mindfulness alone can get you there. Mindfulness can get you to listen. Things are not as bad as you think they are. Chill. Prayer can get you there. 
Prayer can get you to this place of ultimate reality where your eyes are opened to the reality of God and kind of like invites, invites it into the situation that's bringing you anxiety. And he does it two ways because what he says now, he says, ask God for, 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 for what you want, right? Chances are that what you're asking God for is a better future, right? You're not praying, God, I want to remain unemployed for the rest of my life, right? You're probably asking God, I would like to find a job, right? What am I doing there? What I'm doing there is imagining a different future than the future that my anxiety is telling me that will happen. But then he doesn't stop there because he's okay, you do that, and then he says, you pray with thanksgiving. So what he's doing is, okay, imagine this different future and then go back and remember all the times where God came through for you. Remember all the times when you thought that things were going to fall apart and somehow God showed up. Remember all the times God was there for you. In my case, what I would do is I would remember, okay, there was a time in my life where I didn't have anybody and I was feeling very lonely and I was praying and asking God to bring somebody in my life and God brought Megan into my life. And Megan stayed. There was a time in our life where we didn't have children. We wanted to have children. And we started praying to God and asking God to let us have children. And God sent us back. There was a time in my life where I wasn't working in ministry. I was working in insurance. That's like normal career path here at the journey. And, uh, <laughs> and just like child, I hated it. And I didn't want to be there. And God arranged things in a miraculous way so I could go into full-time ministry. So what, what does that do? What that does is that that starts fueling my faith. That starts fueling my hope because, oh, God did all these things. And what happens then is that now I'm, it's easier for me to believe that God can do something good. It becomes easier for me to believe that the same God that did the good thing for me in the past can do the good thing in the future. If anxiety attacks are this vicious cycle of terrible and darker things happening that kind of like plunge you into darkness. Prayer with hope for the future and with thanksgiving is a virtuous cycle that brings you closer and closer to God. And that's what God is trying to do when we pray to him. Then Paul says, his peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. The coolest part of the passage. Let me show you a few minutes. Um, the, the word that, that Paul uses for peace is a military term. It's actually like if we translate it literally, it would be like garrison. And Paul is very intentional in using that term because Philippi was a Roman colony of retired military. By the way, you all would live in Philippi if you were back in, back in that time. It was kind of like when you retire from the army, you, you kind of like that's one of the places you, you, you were sent to and you can have like a house and everything. And the benefits of living in a Roman colony is that you got better protection from the empire than non-Roman colonies. So it was like a, a fort with Roman soldiers. They were patrolling the city. You felt very safe if you lived in a Roman colony. And Paul is using that term to illustrate how the peace of God can guard us and protect us. And I think I want to show you how he does that. Verse 8, he says, And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned 
and receive from me everything you heard from me and saw me doing, then the God of peace will be with you. What's going on here? I think that Paul is getting a couple things. One is just very obvious and self-explanatory, right? If you become anxious at the state of the world and the news, then maybe don't watch CNN 20 hours out of 24, right? Like, go, go, watch, go watch the Nationals lose a game again. Like, like, go do something else. I'm not even an ad. It's like anti-fan. I don't know why I'm just harping them today. Anyway, go do something else. It's kind of like, don't, don't dwell in these things. and kind of like replace them from things that are good and true and beautiful and pure. I think that there's a deeper reality going on here, connected kind of like to this, and then the idea that poses of putting things into practice. Um, when um, the first time that I had started struggling with anxiety, the therapist I was saying at the time, um, the first time I came to see her, I came to see her because I had never had an anxiety attack before. I didn't know what it felt like. I thought I was having a heart attack because your heart starts racing and you almost have like heart palpitations and you freak out. So make an appointment, go see her, and say, this is what happened. Am I dying? And she's like, no, you're not dying. And then she pulls out this sheet and says, these are the symptoms of a heart attack. You have zero of those symptoms. But then he says, what you're having is an anxiety attack. And she pulls up an orange. She's like, these are all the symptoms. You're having them all, okay? <laughs> and, but then, and then, okay, so what do I do? And I had no idea. I thought that we were going to start talking about my parents and, like, I lost my toy when I was eight years old. And she goes, no. <laughs> what we're going to do is we're going to work on breathing exercises. And, again, this is not, like, transcendental meditation. It's, no, no, no. Like, literally just breathing exercises. And she gives me this sheet, and he says, you're going to do this in the morning and the evening, every day for a month. I'm like, okay. And, and then what? That's it. And what she explains, and that wasn't all my treatment, there was more stuff, but she, she's saying what, what's happening is that you can, through your breathing, learn to control your heart rate. But that doesn't happen immediately. You literally have to kind of like teach your body to like, as you slow your breathing, that your heart rate can slow down. It says when you're having a panic attack, when you're having an anxiety attack, you can't do that in that moment. Why? Because you're having an anxiety attack. Your brain is like worried about staying alive. And he said, but if you train your body, then it almost becomes kind of like almost like a second nature, like your muscle memory kind of like kicks in. And as you're doing, you can like calm yourself down. When I was uh, having my second uh, kind of like set of treatment, it was something similar along those lines. And my, and, and my, uh, my therapist was talking and we're talking about mindfulness. He says, you have to do these mindfulness exercises and you have to do them way before, like you have to do them not when you're having an anxiety attack. So when you're having an anxiety attack, you know how to handle it. I think that what Paul is getting at with both the idea of meditating on what's true and beautiful and honorable, all these things, and also with the idea of putting things into practice, is that this process of prayer, where we can have a hope for a better future, and we can recall the promises of God and the things that God has done in our lives, is not something that just comes natural to us. I was listening to a, to a sermon on this passage, and the, the woman kind of like preaching through that sermon, she's saying how, at an old church that she was at, they had like a volunteer huddle, and every volunteer had 30 seconds to share things that they were grateful to God for that day. I, just, I always ran out of time before the 30 seconds, way before the 30 seconds were over. And she's like, it's not like she wasn't ungrateful to God. It's that we haven't trained our minds to think about those things. So Paul says, think about those things. And the more that you think about those things, the more that you put that into practice in your life, 
the easier that it becomes for you to recall those things. Uh, when I was, last year, when I was going through this, um, I had time that it was very hard to, to hear from God. I felt God very distant. And uh, I don't even know where I got this idea, but there, there were very few moments, few and far between where I would read a passage and I would almost feel like it was a promise of God for me. Sometimes people were praying for me, like my parents, and they would say, hey, think about this verse. And, I, you know, I really think it was the Holy Spirit. I started writing all of those passages. So I have a note on my phone called Passages God Has Spoken to Me from very original, right? <laughs> and it was just this list of passages that at some point during that time, I felt like God had spoken to me and that it was a promise from God. And what I would do is when the anxiety attack would hit, I would pull up my phone and then pull up a Bible and then I would look at that passage and I would go to the Bible and I would start reading. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined and heard my cry. He lifted me out, out of the pit, out of the miry clay. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And I would go through them. Over and, over. and I, at the beginning, it was a very mechanical thing. I was necessarily believing in them. And at some point, it's kind of like, like a lullaby, like, like calm me down. I think that that's what Paul is talking about. He says that the peace of God can guard our hearts and minds. If you think Harry Potter is from the devil, cover your ears for the next two minutes. Uh, last Harry Potter movie, there's this scene where like Hogwarts is like the castle uh, where, where the kids are. Uh, it's being attacked and then one of the professors kind of like calls all of the statues and all of the suits of armor to defend the castle. And like they all kind of like come to life and there's this cool scene where all the armor is kind of like marching. It's just like a silly analogy, but I think that when Paul says that the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds, and then he says, think about all that's good and true and honorable and put it into practice. I think that what he's saying is all of the promises from God that you ingest as you read the scriptures, as you seek God, as you pray, they become kind of like antibodies in your mind. So that when the anxiety hits, they rise up to your defense. And when the anxiety hits and it tells you that you have no future, that things are going to go terribly, you remember that God works all things together for the good of those who love Him. You know? When you feel like everything is going to fall apart, that the, that the world is coming to an end, you remember that God through Jesus Christ is restoring and putting all and making all things new, as the Revelation says. You know what I'm saying? Like, like I think that that's what Paul is getting at, that there is a way that as we seek God, as we give ourselves to God, as we put this into practice, that his peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Uh, last Sunday was my birthday. And uh, thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, and usually I make kind of like a sappy post on my birthday, kind of like a reflection on the year past. And Chad had talked about contentment. I was thinking about that. So I posted this picture on Facebook. Uh, the, the, the first picture is me a year ago. And I'm smiling there. But I'm going through hell. And I'll be going through hell for a few more months. I was saying, like, it's crazy to me because the guy on the other picture that's us last week, couldn't think life can get any better than this. 
what happened in between those two pictures was that the peace of God guarded my heart and my mind and kept me from faltering and brought me to the other side. And my friends, what I'm saying to you is that in the midst of severe anxiety and fear, I found peace. And what I believe Paul is saying in the scriptures, what I believe God is saying to us today is that you can also find joy and peace in Christ Jesus.